Kelly, what did you have for breakfast? I ate 20 dwarves while uh, doing a handstand on the carpet. It's key to that carpet. <laughs> At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now what is the appropriate time? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the 4-Hour Body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com slash TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. Athleticgreens.com slash TFS. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show. I am thrilled to be bringing you yet another example of world-class performance. And of course, in The Tim Ferriss Show, what I attempt to do is deconstruct those performers to give you the tools and tricks that you can use. And whether those people be from the worlds of finance, say investors like billionaire Peter Thiel, celebrity like Arnold Schwarzenegger, or sports. And this episode is going to focus on the one thing besides politics and religion that get Americans all hot and bothered, and that is CrossFit. We will delve into the good, the bad, and the ugly of all things CrossFit. We will answer many, many questions, including what are the three most dangerous exercises in CrossFit gyms, generally speaking? What are the most common nutritional mistakes in CrossFit? What do elite CrossFit athletes do differently than the rest 
for example, what do Rich Froning and Jason Kalipa do for warm-ups? Is the CrossFit Games really CrossFit? And what is the future of CrossFit? The man to answer all of this and much more is Kelly Starrett. He's trained CrossFit athletes for more than 130,000 hours and 10 years at San Francisco CrossFit, which was one of the very first 50 CrossFit affiliates in the world. There are now more than 10,000. His clients include Olympic gold medalists, Tour de France cyclists, world and national record holders in Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting, CrossFit Games medalists, ballet dancers, elite military, on and on and on. This is going to go very, very deep. It involves significantly less alcohol than the last long conversation I had with Kelly, uh, which is also included in the blog post at fourhourworkweek.com forward slash podcast, where you can find show notes and other things, fourhourworkweek.com forward slash podcast. And without further ado, enjoy, discuss, debate, Yell and scream. Here you are, Kelly Starrett. Sir Kelly, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's Thank a, little, you. a little more lucid this time, perhaps? A little lucid, a little less alcohol, a <laughs> little more caffeine. Whatever you gave me here, I mistakenly thought it was one cup of coffee. And you're like, it, it's strong. I was on the phone and I was like, no, don't worry. Yes, strong, fucking strong coffee, whatever. I think it's, it, it's supposed to be diluted at like eight to one, but it's fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. So we are here at San Francisco CrossFit and you have quite an anniversary, I suppose you could call it. You've spent 10 years in this world called CrossFit. Yeah, th- this, is, this year now is 10 full years. So I want to dig into this because we've known each other for quite a while and to perhaps lead off for people who may not be familiar with this world or have heard the word a million times but don't know what it really means for you what is crossfit or how do you define crossfit you know there there's the official definition of trying to get people to work at higher intensity in movements that replicate the movements that we see in life it looks like squatting and deadlifting and pushing and pulling and running and if you had to sort of mash up the tennis of gymnastics olympic lifting powerlifting and all the the aerobic responsibilities also that come along with that that's what the programming looks like Mm -hmm. but that's not what it is for me now 10 years i've been i mean we estimate even in our gym here we've been doing it for nine plus years we've done maybe 130,000 athlete hours here which is a lot of pattern recognition that's a lot of people going up and down squatting moving and what we've come to i've really come to understand this i mean this is my own interpretation it's basically saying we have figured out now here are all the things that a human should be responsible to be able to do mm-hmm. you know can you put your arms over your head yes or no well can you do that in a handstand can you do that with a dumbbell can you do that with a kettlebell can you do it with a barbell can you can you go from ground to overhead to do that can you press overhead what ends up happening then is we've been able to window down to say, here are the positions, the archetypal shapes that are represented in every sport, in every situation, every, every position. But in the gym, I can say, do you have this position, yes or no? And then I can say, oh, you do? Well, let me challenge it. Mm-hmm. And the obvious one for the gym for most people is, you know, is, is load. Let's make it heavier. <clears throat> and you know, because you've come out of a serious strength conditioning background in the past, powerlifting, that... A long time ago, our answer to everything was, oh, just get stronger. Right. You know, oh, he's got glute weakness. I'm like, seriously? I mean, that guy deadlifts 700. You think his glutes are weak or she plays in the NFL? You know I mean? Like, people are ridiculous. It's not a weakness problem. Mm-hmm. And what I found for a long time was that we were throwing bigger and bigger engines onto cars that couldn't handle it, right? Well, how much do I need to squat if I'm a runner? 400? 500? 600? Right. 
guys like Pavel were like, you can double body weight back squat, you're probably good enough. You're excused from getting any stronger, right? right? right. You know, Dan John was like, hey, you should front squat. Mm-hmm. You know, a long time ago, Greg Glassman was like, hey, look at the overhead squat versus your front squat. Uh, just presupposing that you can do those two movements, right? Right. And then look at the difference between there, and that's a pretty good indicator of how robust your spine is and how good your shoulders are. So we've totally got now we can start asking a little bit different question besides is it because what we what we evaluated was well I put more weight on the bar so it must be better mm-hmm. right but now we can say hey what about if I have you run around the building and you start breathing hard and then show me how strong you are show me how that position was oh okay so now I can challenge your position with cardiorespiratory demand and boy that starts to look a lot like sport huh like fighting looks like skiing at the bottom of a bump run or running all the way down and having to cut or you know i mean that actually starts to feel like sport what happens if i start to burn or i'm fatiguing metabolic demand what happens if i add speed i make a lot of errors if i go fast what happens if i'm competing like you and i just decide right now we're going to go have a push-up contest whether you are the world champion in push-ups or not a little bit of your back of your brain starts to freak out because it's on the spot so we add the psychological pressure what happens if I make you change mechanics? And so there's this bunch of block practice. Instead of doing 100 swings, we're going to do a burpee, then to a kettlebell swing. So suddenly, I can change the motor programming. And what right. we found, and my, this is my own language around this, is that all of those things are really the definition of intensity. Metabolic load, right? Car respiratory demand, load, speed. The other aspects are aspects of the training that are the sort of intellectual piece around sort of programming the training. But my estimation is the people who can maintain the best positions are the best athletes and remain the most robust and have the biggest work capacities. And as a side effect, because we teach all these principles, can apply them to things that matter like life and sport, not just more exercising. No, it's, uh, I was having a conversation with, uh, you mentioned Pavel and, uh, he's, he has a tendency for very short answers, which is fun to listen to. He's a great voice, too, for those short answers. But somebody asked him uh, for basic advice related to endurance, and he said, fix your posture. Work on your posture. Uh, whether that is you know, running posture, standing posture, sitting posture, etc. And what I'd love to ask you is, if you look at the CrossFit community as a whole, there are so many gyms, so many boxes. Uh, what are problems that are very often not a, being addressed? So people come in they jump straight into you know the workout of the day or or, or, or metabolic conditioning um, what are some common mistakes of whether it be CrossFit instructors or trainees where they come out six months later and from your eye you're like A, B, and C has not been fixed sure well I will correct and just play the devil's advocate around this statement because my experience has honestly now been no one just jumps right into a gym anymore. You can see on the internet and go explore on your own garage. But I think about 100% of the gyms I run into have some sort of holy crap, you don't know how to move. You may have a big engine, but you don't have any exposure to this. Like our cyclists are the worst. They come in with the most like robust aerobic engine they generate huge amounts of concentric force have no eccentric control at all right mm. so it means they can't lengthen under load basically right and they for are those cap- people listening who are not in the in the gym much if you're in a squat position and you move up into a standing position you can think of that as concentric doing the reverse eccentric where you're 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 lengthening so what we saw was that people were coming in relatively aerobic fit. I mean, people aren't slouches anymore. They really aren't. They're exposed. They're doing intervals. I mean, the internet has blown people's, I think, general conditioning now much higher. Like, for example, and I'll come back to the question, but for example, 
you know, the, the CrossFit, unofficial CrossFit mascot that everyone loves the, the show is Pukey, right? Pukey the Clown. I haven't seen someone vomit in a CrossFit in eight years. Like, I, it used to happen all the time. Like, people used to come in, do a workout, and vomit because technically there's an area in the back of your brainstem called the area postroma. It samples your blood circulation, right? And what ends up happening is people are generating so much lactic acid that the brain was like, you've poisoned yourself, blah, activated your vomition center. That's the mechanism for vomiting from workouts. That doesn't happen anymore because people's conditioning, whether you're at Soul Cycle, dude, go to Soul Cycle, blow your brains up on a bike, you're going to be de- like protected, not from movement or eccentric load, but like you'll be able to buffer some lactic acid, right? So we've seen, I've seen the general... Uh, fitness go up. But what has happened now is that people have said, okay, look, you can't just come in here and train because you're going to wreck yourself. And more importantly, you're not going to understand what it is we're trying to do, which is here are the fundamental movements that are the sort of, um, sort of signature positions of the CrossFit method. And you don't know any of them, right? So we, we, we force people to come in. And the mistake is, as a coach, that I need to get people moving. And this is why if you go to a CrossFit Level 1 seminar, they are going to teach you. And they're really excellent. Excellent coaches, very thoughtful, very, very the, – uh, the, the course has evolved in 10 years a ton. We've become more sophisticated in 10 years. But w- we teach you with really low loads, i.e. a PVC pipe or a medicine ball, because I've never seen anyone die from those things. But the ego gets involved, and pretty soon there's a barbell in it, and you can still see people performing a tremendous amount of work in bad positions. And what ends up happening is, as we get people in, we have to give them a little taste of intensity. And we do that with the rowing machine and some burpees. Right? We, get, we get them saying, hey, I need to show you what happens when you start breathing hard. But then, and we end up making, I think, a set of decisions about getting people moving. Right? Because if, you, if you're my mom, maybe you don't have the ankle range of motion, you have an artificial hip. The most important thing is that we start squatting. Right, and I have a lot of ways of making that difficult. Oh, we're going to get on this this airdyne, and we're going to sprint a little bit, and then come back and air squat for me. Like that's enough for a lot of people. The problem is, and I might turn your feet out, and I might be okay with you rounding your back a little bit. It doesn't have to be perfect, but now at least you're squatting. We can have a conversation about what's next, right? I can make errors. The problem is we start loading this inefficient, this compromised movement because we said, hey, the first thing is let's get moving. Now what? And what is we need to continue to refine the mechanic for life. And that's the biggest mistake. I think people aren't understanding. They're like, well, they're squatting up and down now. Refine the mechanic, meaning the movement. The, the, the principles behind the movement, right. right? And it's all there for us. It has always been there for us. Hey, limit motion of your spine under load. Everyone agrees. And yet, when I take the average person off the street and just have them squat very fast, I see a ton. I had a young NFL prospect in today, right, getting some advice about his knee. He's going to go to the combine. I asked him just do an air squat and the amount of reversal in his spine. Like he literally rounded into a dumped like dog taking a poo position and he had massive fins in the middle of his back where his musculature has overdeveloped from him basically rounding underneath. And I was like, um, so that's not really good. Let's do less of that. And he's like, what, what, what are you talking about? Like he couldn't even identify that this thing was going on. Right. And you know, from the physical therapy side of things, from the sports performance side, the highest level form on these issues that I hammer on and hammer people on are the limiting factors to you getting stopping injured and they're the limiting factors to you being the best in the world and winning a gold medal like these little details and so we should be constantly refining technique to express what is 
full physiology. So, for example, um, there was a, you know, one of the things, there's so many voices in fitness now and so many people coming in, but like someone basically, do you know what apologetics is? Like that's... I get the first part, (laughs) not the plural. Apologetics is basically in religion where people come around and explain a phenomenon in terms of the dogma. Oh, this is what that meant now, right? And they, it's because a lot of it was allegory and and metaphor and, and lesson, right? In science fiction, apologetics means you can explain any technology away based on some other thing. Well, I see apologetics happen in human physiology. Oh, the reason you can't squat all the way down is your hip structure, right? Oh, some people don't just have long femurs, so they can't take a poo in the woods and squat all the way down. I'm like, what are you talking about? The issue is that people, we haven't making, given people clear benchmarks about what is normal and what is disnormal, right? Cook and those guys, Cook and Burton and the functional movement screen have tried to establish baselines for performance, but those don't even go all the way to show me that you have full range of motion in your ankles. Like you, one of the secrets I don't think people understand is that you are, you have good positions and those positions have protected you for a long time, right? You, you have, a, you can squat with your feet together, ankles together all the way down, full hip function, full ankle function. But people are coming into the gym basically as demi-human, they have big aerobic engines because that's what someone said they should do, but they don't have even like 50% of the ranges of motion they should have, and they don't even have the motor control to be able to start to express this stuff. You know, what is it if you want the great tranquility, be willing to sweat the white hot beads, right? I mean, Olympic lifters got it right, and you can see why the Olympic lifters are like, what the hell, why aren't you Olympic lifting? You can't even put your arms over your head, you know what I mean? And the Olympic lifting demands that we have basic capacities in all of these shapes, mm-hmm. The only thing that's missing is the bench press shape. But guess what? Olympic lifters do some bench pressing. You know what I mean? So they figured it out. It's a lot easier to go that direction than <laughs> it the other is. way around. Right. And, and that's right. And so it's interesting. You know, I think that what, we're, what we have not done a good job of is showing people how far away from normal they are. Right? You'd have no idea. Like, you should be able to keep your back flat and legs straight and hinge over and pick up a barbell. And I bet, I know you can do it because I've seen you do it, but I bet that 95% of the people in the street are stiff, don't have the motor control, tight hips, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's not an indictment on their lifestyle. It's an indictment that we don't understand what good function is. And the training we've been doing for the last 50 years has not necessarily heightened that. Now, there are populations. The jiu-jitsu guys have been on this a long time. Right, that you have to have these good positions. They're they're requisite. Hip flexors the size of camel hip flexors. <laughs> it's true. Cause right. a little low back soreness, but otherwise. Besides, besides that, but what you're seeing is a lot of people have worked this out many, many, many times, but we haven't applied it to sort of the rigor of modern humans, and that means modern strength and conditioning, and we haven't couched it in the terms. So when people walk into the gym, you know, it is. I don't think people realize as a coach, it is an enormous fucking challenge to say oh by the way you have no understanding of how you move and if I make you breathe a little bit hard you throw it away and you move like crap and by the way you eat like an asshole and you don't sleep and what are we going to do in this hour we have to start a conversation so for me there's this line of well, we got to get people in the door and we got to get them started right but that's not the end of the conversation you know yeah you can squat with your feet turned out like ducks you totally can you can set a world record in powerlifting like that but you know what you can't do you can't run you can't jump and land you can't cut i mean it really causes all these problems i see it and i also see people losing performance that way so the question remains this dichotomy then is 
chair my feet are turned out because that allows me to squat all the way down. Great. That's a beginning of a conversation. But the optimal position is the position that allows me to take my fitness and now transplant that into motor patterns instead of just saying, well, you're really fit now, so you're protected. Now you say, well, I've practiced these shapes and this pattern and the, the theory and the principle, and I can then apply that to whatever I'm doing. And that's what's missing from the gym. So this is a, this is a really fascinating topic for me, the, the gym to sport transition. Huge. And, and whether that is a worthwhile goal also. Uh, for me, just as a side note, I mean, I've been spending time exploring, just chanced upon meeting the co-founder of Acro Yoga <laughs> And I'd never had much interest in yoga. Well, let's just stop. I mean, acro yoga sounds really stupid. Yeah. But what is not, it's not really stupid. No, it's not. And it's, it's partner yoga involving gymnastic and acrobatic positions. So if you've ever seen, say, a Cirque du Soleil performance with two strongmen where they're linking arms and, and holding handstands overhead and, and so on, uh, the, the motions are quite similar, but you spend a lot of time on your back uh, balancing people on your feet and so on. And But uh, coming back to your squatting position, I remember asking uh, Jason, I think his last name is pronounced Niemer, really excellent coach, why he was recommending that I hold my hands a certain way when practicing handstands because I'd been instructed elsewhere by other uh, gymnastics coaches to do it a different way. And he said, the reason you're holding it that way, even though it's a little more uncomfortable, is because when you go into the actual positions in acro yoga and you're doing it at speed, you're going to maintain that exact hand position. So you want to train that pattern. And I was like, oh, got it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about athleticism, though. The, the, the training versus athleticism conversation. Uh, and I, I hadn't heard of this because I, I, I'm, not, I'm not exposed to the CrossFit Games much. But can you talk about the, uh, the softball phenomenon a bit? Well, I, it's, it's, you know, CrossFit... You know, as originally conceived by Greg Glassman, and if you look at the original you know, fitness in a hundred words or less in there, it says regularly learn and play new sports. Hey, nice middle splits, bro. Nice well, you see. started doing the middle splits. We're sitting here on the floor in the gym, and I was like, I'm like getting <laughs> sort of adductor jealousy. So, although your ties look like swollen ticks, and mine look like <laughs> I, just I don't woke, know. I just woke up and I was like this, bro. I don't know what happened. I came with the kit. The um, you know. So the tenet always has been, hey, you need to keep learning and you keep diversifying. They call that lateralization, right? People have been talking about it in surfers or some skill. The big, the big wall climbers suddenly are doing breath holding and they learn something about that, right? Or slacklining. Yeah, yeah slacklining. Exactly. Lateralization, right? Stephen Kotler has been all about it. So that, that's an important piece of like saying, okay, you have this skill set. Let's go challenge it in a new domain. That's the crucial. What is interesting and is always going to be a problem with, for me, with CrossFit is that I'm, I can't always, you know, CrossFit is the single, for me, the single best integrated way of training I have ever come across. I still haven't seen it. I've seen it refined. I've seen McKenzie apply it, the concepts and principles to endurance athletes. I've seen Wellborn apply it to power athletes. The, the kernel and the methodology is the same, right? But, and I, I haven't to date seen something that looks better at general physical preparedness like I want my daughters to have a skill set and a base fitness and strength and and this is the, the model is it the model is it should I have all of my NFLers do something that looks exactly CrossFit no but I can still keep the tenets there right? I can I, the, the thing the base code is so good 
The problem is sometimes we confuse the ability to do perform a lot of work with the ability to be athletic. And you know, one of my definitions of who's the best athlete is who picks up the new skill the fastest. This is why, I mean, your little experiment about the Tim Ferriss experiment about how fast can I learn really piqued my interest because I'm like, that is the, the limiter. How, how fast can I apply this base skill set? What, is, what does that base skill set look like? Remember um, uh, Robert Heinlein had that little quote. It was like, a man should be able to right, <laughs> right, like, butcher a hog, captain a ship, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Like plan a war, right. like set a bone, right? <laughs> Specializations for insects, right? right. That was like <clears throat> some strong girls in the background. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. <clears throat> but the, the issue here is, you know, what we should be doing is trying to ask ourselves what constitutes the right skill set to quickly pick up new skills and to reapply as myself as a learning animal? And what I can tell you, and I believe this in my soul of souls, and I've seen it, that good strength and conditioning programs, and I'm talking about at all now, right, beyond CrossFit, good strength and conditioning programs reinforce skills and positions. Ido Portal, for example, is a good example of this, right? I don't, I don't know if you, many of his guys are going to play in the NFL, but that's not doesn't mean he hasn't isn't right about you know this this concept. But that you know how do we? What's the language of creating a ready state in the human so that I can constantly be not limited by my physical capacity? And that is position too. That's positionally driven. That's that's my ability to pick up and learn new skills. And I think what you're referring to is in the CrossFit Games, what we saw is that people were freakish about their work capacity. And then they, some people asked them, I mean, very strong, huge aerobic engines. And they were like, just throw this ball. And you're like, what was the What was the event? I didn't see it. It was a softball toss. Three, yeah, three throws. Yeah, throw a distance. Throw the softball as far as you can. Now, check this out. It turns out that Rich Froning played football in college. Guess what? He's a pretty good athlete. Yeah. Graham Holmberg, two-sport college athlete, right? Oh, what did he do? Oh, he was the like pitcher and the quarterback. Like he's a mutant. <laughs> so he right? did all right. Bringing these guys throw. But there's some other kids who obviously had deficiencies in there, have have thrived in because in CrossFit, but the nature and the limitations of challenging people's fitness, it's hard to see the the aspects of athleticism. It's not always the case. They they really do try to program those things in, but it's it's also limited by like how do we do with you know how do we have a pickup game of basketball you can't really see and judge that stuff um you know they make people swim they make people run they make people bike they people, the, the obstacle course was a great example of the expression of just moving through the environment i love that event um but there were some people who had some really horrific soft they end up rolling in underhand because <laughs> and that, that really begs the question because the the central tenet of what this experiment was and it's important for i think the average person who is is crossfitting right is that there's sort of two CrossFits, and I think CrossFit HQ would back me up on this, that we have the highest expression of CrossFitting, which is the CrossFit Games. And I just came from um, an athlete camp that Reebok put on in the Bahamas. I'm not going to lie. It was okay. Yes. Yeah, right? But we did a b- bunch of training sessions with some of the best athletes on the planet. And the first thing that all of these gamer guys did like these are the like these are Rich Fronings, Jason Kalipas, all really extraordinary athletes. They all went and played pickup football and on some astroturf, like boom, immediately. And you're like, oh wow, these guys are pretty legit athletes. There was some aspect of their athleticism that they carried to CrossFit, and then CrossFit allowed them to heighten this this aerob- this these functions. 
And what I think happens sometimes is now because people can't sort of separate that out, it's easy to put on a pedestal. If I can just work really hard, then I'm going to be a really good athlete and be able to pick up all these new sports. And yes, one of the things that I've seen Greg Cook pivot on and some people pivoting on around CrossFit is they didn't, they've realized that people aren't giving up capacities to CrossFit, right? They're, they still are, most of us are still have full ankle range of motion because we do pistols. So it's additive, not yes, replacement. Yes, yes, yes. And, and for a long time in the strength and conditioning world, we have seen people get a really big power clean and then everything else sucks, right? It all sucks. So what's interesting about the program here in our gym is that we really ferret out all the crappy movement patterns, you know? So let me ask you this, if I could, uh, this is just top of mind right now, I guess, I guess two things. If someone were to ask you, you know, is CrossFit Games really CrossFit? Should the multitudes of people in CrossFit gyms aspire to that as an objective, number one? Let's start with number one. Uh, but uh, got a bunch top of mind. But no, the first one. I don't think they should. And but I will tell you that the athletes involved and the experiment involved has been so informative for me as a coach, as a physio, because I can really see what the deficiencies are at day five, at day three, under these loads. And and it really starts to matter when we see that the best athletes refine position, refine position, refine efficiency and and win. Right, that's that's been the name of the game. It used to be that you could just outwork people. That people are training two and three times a day. They are the most meticulous athletes I've ever seen in any sport anywhere. They're on top of the nutrition game, on top of the recovery game, on top of hydration, adaptation, mechanics. Like they are really, really have depth. I mean, Rich Froning, he's a little tiny guy. You know, how much does he weigh? I think he's probably like one ninety, one eighty five, just something like that. Snatches so- snatches three fifteen. That's, like that's in tennis shoes, in, yeah. in Reebok flat nano shoes that like I can not, not Olympic lifting shoes. And he does that in the context of also being able to do all these other things. So I think it's what it has done. What, the reason for me that the games are so important is that it's, it's changed the consciousness about what's possible. By the way, you can still run this mountain 7K and be brutally strong. In fact, why aren't you? You know, and I think people have been having that conversation for a long time. It also has gotten us really clear about what works and doesn't work in a very sort of pressure cooker situation in terms you talk of about programming and well, training a, a, load a little bit of the pro- programming, but I would say about nutrition. Yeah, about I've never seen these any athlete in the history of the world do more work than these kids. I know the Tour de France guys. I mean, I know them personally, and their wattages are insane. The run, best run, like they're put. Everyone's putting out hard, but no one like the CNS load, the crazy loads, and that has really made it very clear about the lessons that we've been able to pull out of it. So as an experiment as Formula One, right. but not all of us should aspire to be Formula One drivers or even drive our cars like Formula One, and very few of us have the genetics, yeah. which is the also sort of, of course, the lie, level. right? The yeah. lie that we tell ourselves, well, you know, I can train like them, so I'm, I, you know, no, you can't, you're not them genetically, I'm sorry, but... Sorry, Tim Ferriss, you're a bad method. <laughs> I sit in the corner. You, you know what? Play you Scrabble. Know, you you're you are relatively strong. You're strongish. Strongish. You're aerobic fit. The good thing you're a smart kid, <laughs> and you're a good dancer. People don't know that about you. And um, I learned to throw the javelins <laughs> at the people who are stronger. <laughs> and I can run away. Yeah. So you know, I think I think that it's vital to understand the role of the games that played in terms of raising the boat. Also, 
sort of distilling down the essences of what's important and not important and the lessons we've learned out of that and how to program. You know, because I think a long time ago, you know, even guys like Louis was like, well, we're all powerlifters, so we'll just apply powerlifting. Well, that didn't work at all, right? And what we're seeing is very sophisticated training, omega wave, heart rate variability, like what people are what doing. What is omega wave? It's, it's a, a way of sort of looking at biorhythms, heart rate variability, and really coming up with recovery scores so you can understand in real time the effect of yesterday's training. So the, the HRV would be part of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like, like HRV on steroids, right? <laughs> and so what, what's amazing now is we see that level of sophistication, and I've been able to take that and apply it to NFL and you know I mean not, not like hey we do thrusters we're going to be good at the NFL but really the principles and also it's given me the view of understanding all the corners that we're missing right that you have to have the corners of your range of motion and capacities otherwise we're going to have issues what do you mean by corners well sort of the edge cases like this is an this well, is a 10% sh- case sh- in sh- your no, sport well, more like show me that you actually you don't have 85% ish of your shoulder range but you have stability and capacity in the fullest end ranges so in the corners of your range of motion right so if all the way overhead is one of those corners I have my arm over my head like if you're not if you can't hold two dumbbells over your head with your arms like straight like you're holding like hammers and your rib cage down that's an incomplete position and it's that position that's costing you when you swim it's that position you're costing you when you throw a ball it's that inefficiency that's costing you when you fall now we have a way of really understanding and what I've been able to do is for me I've been able to repurpose CrossFit into the greatest diagnostic tool ever and it's independent of you breathing hard right the intensity is an important piece that other people understand so the GPP that everyone has been talking about for a gazillion years, general physical preparedness. The Russians, I think, invented that word, right? And they, and they got into it. They're like, you have to be able to jump off a ladder right? you, without your knees wobbling. That was a really simple way of just loading a, a, a squat, right? That was, that's what that was. It's not m- mystical. You know, what we said for a long time was, you know, get your kid in gymnastics. That's really good. It'll make good athletes. We're like, why the fuck does that matter? Like, really? Tell me why. Well, it turns out that the, the things that you have to be able to do in gymnastics teach you certain positions and principles that you can then apply. Yeah, use your skeleton, not just your muscles. Yes. And then we can get away with, you know, big muscle-bound guys who get their asses kicked, you know? Like, you know, or the little skinny cardio whippet who falls apart, can't lift 60 kilos off the ground when they're breathing a little bit hard. Like, those are both ends of the spectrum that aren't good. What You mentioned nutrition, and I've got a, a, bunch, of, a bunch of questions, but... Uh, in, in brief, what would you say are the most common nutrition mistakes or, uh, <clears throat> let's see, detrimental beliefs that CrossFitters have? Well, this is the first, for a lot of us, me included, you know, I'd actually heard, you know, the zone was the first thing that, you sure. know, that Greg talked about. Oh, and, back, as a, back when I was uh, first training in uh, CrossFit, I, I think I've told you this before, but back when the Santa Cruz guys would come to Mountain View to train at the Half Gracie Academy, yes. it was all about the zone. And I remember training with those guys. Well, and so, again, let's, let's get to understanding why that mattered. Because people's macronutrients, their combinations in terms of what they were eating was way way out of was wacky not eating enough any fat not barely getting enough protein massive amounts of carbohydrate and that was the first way we could just identify the problem right 
So, but then we started measuring and weighing. So then we had an idea of what roughly we're taking it. And to this day, I look at a banana and I'm like, three blocks. You know, I mean, like that's 30 grams of carbohydrate. You know, it's been useful. It's like a unit, like a metric unit, right? That's a kilometer. That's a meter. It gives me a baseline of understanding how much food I need to be eating. But then, and it was always about food quality. That was always an important conversation. But then people would be like, well, I can eat this bacon and drink this beer and I'm still in the zone. I'm and I was my like, <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> you know, and so what would happen then was that we saw this paleo revolution wash over the CrossFitters, right? We're like, and I, the first time I said this to my wife, Juliet, bless her little heart, was like, she Googles online because Juliet's the biggest skeptic. And she was like, this is some bullshit. I'm like, what? She's like, the first thing that came up was hornet's nest soup. Like wasp nest soup, Kelly? She's like, that's what you fucking mean? And I was like, I don't. I, I think it means no grains, you know, and we should eat vegetables. She's like, this is some bullshit. But that was really, again, a conversation about food quality, right? Well, then we saw this revolution. Free range hornet. <laughs> Juliet literally is just like the greatest bullshit detector. Thank you. Everyone, everyone just get yourself a Juliet. Um, but then what we saw was that everyone got super squeaky clean, like didn't even use salt. And I was like, oh, you know, salt is really useful. I saw a bunch of my friends who cleaned up their diet and they were, they literally tanked. Like they were blacking out because they weren't getting any salts ever. Yeah, no like judge. we, there's this thing called salt. It's amazing. Yeah. Humans invented the salt routes for it. I, right? read a, I read a study on primates and why humans are so fond of fructose, you know, the naturally occurring sugar in fruit. And why it's so problematic to have, say, a high fructose corn syrup or agave nectar. It's like 75% plus fructose and we get fatty liver disease. When we were migrating apes, uh, the way that we would sustain higher uh, blood pressure without salt was with fruit. Oh, doesn't that make perfect sense? Yeah. It makes perfect sense. But yeah, salt, guess what, folks? Pretty important. <laughs> or like blood pressure. It's so important. Least. Like Stacy Sims is a good homie of ours, right? She is a exercise physiologist out of Stanford. She's been exercise physio to the best athletes on the planet, best, especially the best aerobic athletes, but she assists everyone. Her company is called Osmo Nutrition, and her thinking about hydration is vital. But she's like, hey... There's this stuff called sea salt. Take a pinch of it, throw it in your water, and quit being a jerk and diluting yourself, right? You know, not diluting, diluting, right? And what we've seen is that people are not applying the lessons of that we've learned in sport for the last 20, 30, 40 years to -to day-to-day life. So people got really squeaky clean, and they could not eat enough carbohydrate to support the level of training that we were doing, right? And all the endurance athletes were like, dude, you can't eat... 100 grams of carbohydrate a day and expect to thrive and sure just be a keto adapted athlete I'm like yeah that works if I have to do it but man that's that's not working for me so well. You have to be very meticulous. And you have to have the genetics to really also. support that. Yeah. You know, and like boot oh, oh, oh I I looked at some sugar now I'm not keto adapted right and you know the key is always and this has always been the CrossFit HQ position for one number one Eat enough carbohydrate to support exercise. Well, I've taken, I finally figured out what that means, right? And that's a fluctuating norm, you know? And also, in the last 10 years, we have figured out, for example, through the miraculousness of um, blood testing, of genetic testing, like we can actually get that stuff now done pretty easily. Turns out, for example, I'm an aerobic responder. It means big aerobic workouts cause my body to be like in nirvana. And power athlete stuff, I have to train that stuff, of course. But that is not where I should be making my money. Why? My genetics tell me, 
And it's interesting that any success I've had as an athlete, I've basically been swimming against that stream my whole life, right? Well, my genetics also tell me that I don't process saturated fats very well, and they call it lean paleo, which means eat high-quality food, Kelly, but you don't need bacon every day. I don't eat bacon every day, and I don't eat nuts because when I do... My cholesterol goes through the roof, and I know we can be sophisticated about cholesterol, but when your cholesterol is 400, like there's something up. Right? That's not, you know, and <laughs> I had a bunch of friends. More calories in a, big, <laughs> in a Whopper. Right. That's right. So I, I think that's the, what we found is that people have gone back to rice. They've gone back to, you know, hey, I've, I've got to source my carbohydrate intelligently in order to support the amount of training I'm doing. And that was, that was a, I think, a, a reaction. People are less afraid of gluten. I think they really try to stay away from it. You know, maybe that's just Monsanto that's talking there. But, uh, you know, I, <laughs> sorry, you're going to have to edit that out. Sorry, Tom. No, no, no. <laughs> They'll send a letter bomb to your house, not mine. That's fine. Just kidding. I love you, Monsanto. That, 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 that spot's love. free. <laughs> you know what's funny about weeds? Nothing's funny about weeds. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the bottom line is I think we've seen that correction but once again we should take that lesson from the highest level of sport that's what coaches are trying to do distill principles not methods right? and also i think particularly when it comes to macros is know thyself and know thy sport or training load right yeah. so pitatia dr pitatia who you've not, have you ever spent any time with no. Pete, you have to meet this guy you guys would love each other but uh he was on the podcast and we talked about cancer research but he's also he would is he the, he, he's the sugar cancer connector guy? Is that, well, I, he would talk about that yeah. certainly, but he is a uh, he was a former oncology researcher. He's also been a surgeon, and he's a high level. He would not want me to say high level, but he's a high level uh, endurance athlete. You know, hundred mile swims and things like yeah, this. Yeah, I'm not going to call that high level. And he's also uh, but he's also very strong uh, for his for his body weight, and he he loves doing time trials for cycling. And so he is almost always keto adapted. He's in ketosis for those people who haven't heard uh, my conversation with Pete Atia. Uh, all that means is you're, you're, you're utilizing fat as this is highly simplified, but fat instead of glucose as, as your primary fuel. And when he's doing these intense rides though, he, he knows exactly his respiratory quotient when he kicks over to anaerobic and how many calories he can consume and how many calories his, his liver can store so that he never comes out of ketosis. So he can be pounding gels, but he's like, okay, I know that my liver at my body weight, I'm going to store about 400 calories of carbohydrates based on, based on this target distance and this target wattage, et cetera. I can end my race and still be in ketosis or my time trial. Uh, but that's and, because And he, my problem with that, of course, is that that's true. And he is the freakish outlier. Nobody's going to do data. It. Right. And right. very few people are going to do that. Uh, that's but, amazing. By but, the way. but what's, what's fascinating is, um, so yeah, the paleo, uh, the paleo community, what are, what are other, are there any other common dietary mistakes that you oh, find yeah, people, people are terrible around water. You know, the co coffee has been the cult, like black fluid. What do we call it? The cup of fear. Cup of fear. Cup of fear. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people are like, I, I don't need to drink water. I drink coffee all day long. And then this Kill Cliff, you know, which is an amazing CrossFit soda, you know, that it's not re related to CrossFit, but it's sponsored by some CrossFit. Anyway, you get the idea. It's amazing with vodka, too, by the way. But which is also can be gluten-free. So you're still paleo. It's fine. <laughs> and But I think what we're seeing is that, you know, it you can here's here's what's crucial you can be at 80% of your function and come in and do relatively okay once you move well once you've been doing this for a while you can just be on the edges of your sleep on the you know you borderline eat some extra ice cream you know budge a little bit you know not deal with stress down 
but of course we know all of those things I've got to keep an eye on. This is what a physical practice is. And what we've seen then is for me, it's important that you're actually signing up for a race. You're signing up for an event. The gym is not the event. This is the place where we train. And yes, it feels like competition here because I, it's intense. It's deep practice. Daniel Coyle, thank you. It's, it's me really, really practicing. Is that the intent- code? That's right. Nice, dude. Uh, it's, it's deep intention. It's hard aerobic conditioning. But it's still not the same thing as stepping into a ring or lining up on a 5K or signing up. And what you realize is how important all those aspects are of are to your, your, your training. You have to eat right. That's why I'm like, look, the CrossFit is doing, does the CrossFit Open, which is the biggest sporting event in the history of mankind. That's what it is every year. More people sign up for the CrossFit Open. They do five workouts, and then and it's a big international competition. So right? it's a virtual game? It's a virtual game, basically. It's a, it's a feeder to regionals. So you know whether you like it or not, I'm like, why don't you do it? And for no other reason than... Why don't you have something hanging over your head for five weeks in a row? Because yeah. that's really... Which also gives you a target other than the next More day's wad. Yes. It's so you can actually decide what the optimal diet is given that five-week goal. You just make a whole bunch of different decisions. You know, what, what do they say? I mean, deadlines focus the mind. Yeah. You know, Mr. Deadline Guy. And uh, <laughs> you stay up all night because you realize you're like, wow, I, it really does force, you know, your thinking about this. And I, I think that's, that's what sometimes gets lost in the CrossFit gym. Initially, it was terrifying. I didn't know if I was going to survive. Let me give you an example. When I started this thing 10 years ago, Adrian Bosman, who is a, you know, CrossFit headquarters ubermensch, right? And, and, he was one of our first coaches. I did all the coaching. We, this was all unknown. There were, we were the 27th CrossFit, I think officially 50th. Now we're like 27 on the list. How many are there total? 11,000 roughly, which is a revolution. You, I mean, it's not a gimmick. And what ends up happening was there was a workout that was snatch 135 pounds 30 times. Adrian and I didn't know if we could do it. We didn't know anyone who had done it except like Olympic lifters, you know, who had like seriously trained and were strong. And one day we we're like, we're going to do this, even if it takes us all day. And like we psyched ourselves up. And like now, like they throw that as like an after effect. You can do that in 90 seconds. I mean, things have changed dramatically in 10 years because, you know, it's like the four-minute mile. Everyone's like, oh, you're still running four-minute miles? That's so quaint. <laughs> you know, we're in the one-minute mile now. And, um, but, you know, 10 years we didn't know. And so now we're starting to see that, you know, what's, what's, what's possible. Yeah, for sure. Now coming back to the snatch for a second. Um, so I've never been, uh, a, a practitioner of Olympic lifts for a whole host of reasons, but, uh, primarily because I had reconstructive shoulder surgery in 2004 doing, uh, silly stuff like grappling that made my arms stick sure. out of the front of my chest. And maybe you should have been Olympic lifting. So maybe I should have. So I had a lot of apprehension about yeah. that. Uh, Rightfully of, so. that, like terminal kind of overhead last 15, 20 degrees. And, uh, but I found a lot of value, particularly in the last six months or so, with focusing on overhead squatting movements. Yeah. Still not to the point where I'm going to do snatches. Uh, and I think that's where I've become smarter over the years is recognizing that you can, you can really refine movement patterns. I don't have the go, heavy, go big or go home mentality anymore that I used to because the, the risk benefit's so unfavorable to me. Uh, why is Rich Froning so good at the snatch? And what are the common mistakes that people make with that movement? Well, Rich has excellent mechanics. His full range of motion, his ankles, 
his excellent shoulder range and understanding of stability. He's able to get his, I mean, he just does things that are naturally important to snatching. He does them effortlessly in terms of getting his torso upright. His, his, obviously, it's a, a lot of training stimulus and these things, but he understands how to create stable shapes, and he's able to get into those shapes. So he doesn't have to work very hard. The, the, the work he does goes into, it's a, he gets 100% benefit from that. He doesn't have to, he's not working at 80% of 70% efficiency. Does that make sense? That makes sense. He's, he's working hard on those shapes. What you, what you discovered, though, is I think underlying the, cent, the, you know, it's a part of the functional movement screen since 1996. Dan John is like, always, all his throwers say, I wish I had overhead squatted more. Glassman valued it as like one of the most important capacities. And in fact, one of the earliest, best CrossFit workouts, I think it's called Nancy. And it's run 400 meters. So innocuous, right? And then just overhead squat 95 pounds. 15 times. Like, I'm ser- like that's, that's pinche weight. But just do- 15 times 400 meters doesn't sound pinche to No, me. you'll have to overhead squat 15, 95 pounds 15 times. Run 400 meters. And then just do that. Oh, I see. Just do that like mm, five times. Yeah. And what you're going to see really quickly is... When it happens, like everyone can fake it for three, but then as you start to fatigue or your 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 positions aren't robust, you you bounce off the the tent. You you no longer have access, right? And, you know, you start the, the world gets really small, and then you start suffering. And, and then the you pers- eventually Labrador Retriever into the, in the closed sliding door. <laughs> true fact. True fact. Yeah. So you know, I I think what is key is understanding what are the salient positions. You know, all we're doing when we say overhead squat is I'm saying, show me you can squat with your torso upright. And that looks a lot like sport, doesn't it? And if you have to lean forward really far to do that, then it says you have incomplete hip and ankle function and you don't know how to create stability in your trunk. And that is a very powerful idea, right? And what's nice about the overhead squat is I call it a category one movement. I can get very organized and I can grind down to a position where I either we agree that it's full range of motion or not, or till I start to lose position, I can come back up. And what I've removed out of it is the element of speed. So for my nine-year-old, for example, Georgia, the overhead squat is something we do all the time. Sometimes we just bring the little kitty barbell into the, into the living room before pounder. she goes to bed. Yeah, or even less, maybe 10 pounds. And she just has to do three sets of five. Why? It's practicing the shape practicing the position and that's where we're going to get bang for the buck do you th- you can pull you don't need to snatch heavy do you think you should be any crossfitters focus on working out and not practicing well totally and i would say that that let, let's let's take it out across it for a second mm-hmm. and let's put it into running sure running is a very very technical skill that we should be developing from a very early age and there are only like, what, 30 million runners in America who run three times a week, and only 80% of them are injured in a year? Wow, that's like the worst <laughs> statistic ever. Listen, if you're listening to this, do not let your children run. It's dangerous. Comma, if you're a runner, and running is the th- one, one of the things that makes us human, you should be able to run. That is one of the tenets of being a good athlete. In fact, look at the NFL Combine, for example. They jump, right? They have to bench press, which is a joke. That's the one piece that's a joke. But everything else is a run drill, change of direction drill. It's about fluency and economy of running and changing mechanics. No wonder a couple years ago CrossFit put this big like you know cone drill thing in there because they're like, hey, look, this thing you should be really competent at, and you're going to get punished if you suck at it. So if we look at most people's running, how much actual skill development do they do in running? I mean, besides tying their shoes. Next to none. None, and they just start running. Unless you're with... 
say, a Joe DeFranco <laughs> planning oh. on being in the NFL combine. And he's like, actually, if you're right-handed, you should switch your feet this way because yes. you cut one step yes. out of the shuttle run. And then, wow, now you're a superstar. And Joe does a whole bunch of stuff about being, do you have the positions to run? Yeah. Like, for me, the most dangerous sport to middle-aged men is a, is a track workout. Oh, my God. So dangerous. Like, you're just asking for a pulled hamstring or torn cap because you're at the end ranges. And when you start, your back starts to deflect because you can't buffer your, you know, your huge engine. And then you have a neuromechanical compromise, tear hamstring. It's the same thing that happens in basketball. We don't even talk about what the end. What are, do you have the required range of motion to run? Yes or no? And resoundingly, the answer is hell no. And do we do any skills or drills about improving the economy? No. So... What ends up happening, of course, is that we should, and what, what I can tell you that I see is that I see very, very intelligent coaches practicing skills, teaching skills, and then challenging those skills in a workout. And that is good programming. So if I am getting to a point where I'm comfortable with overhead squatting with a barbell and consider- uh, That never happens, by the way, because it always, it always gets worse. Well, I've, I've, uh, no, you should have, I'll send you some photos. They're hilarious. Uh, the, uh, if I'm considering going into say training for the snatch, what are common mistakes that I should be aware of that I should avoid? Well, you know, we have basically been able to break those fundamental positions down. So how about this? Show me that you can actually put you know, just put some tens on the bar. Grab a women's bar. Make it really light. You know, Better show for me my that you tiny can. Little midget hands anyway. <laughs> well, hey, they're called dwarf hands. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and and one of the issues is, you know, show me you can keep your back flat and actually get to the bar. And what you're going to see is that people can't do that. Get to the bar. Get to the bar. the bar. Yeah. No. No. Just get into the setup position for the Got bar. It. And what you're going to find is that people can't even get into a decent setup position without rounding their back and dumping their shoulders. And then we start asking the question. What the hell are we doing? Your setup position is so setup shitty. Setup that bottom position. Yeah. Can you show me you can put your hands in a snatch grip and then sit all the way down on your, on your ankles, right? Sit down and get into a good position. What you're going to find is that people universally can't do that. So suddenly, boom, I've learned something about myself. Why do all the best coaches teach from the hang? Well, if you teach from the hang, then I take that portion out of it. I can derive a lot of the benefits from snatching without taking you to these compromised shapes. And the problem is, I know you can snatch from that compromised shape, but that's not the shape we all agree is the best shape. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if you can't even get all the way down to the bar, an issue of technique is never, we're never going to solve this because you're making basic type one errors from the first inch off the ground. Right. Or in in centimeters because everything's in kilos in Olympic lifting. Let me ask you, uh, I want to put you on the spot for a second because I've always wanted to ask you this and I'm not sure why I haven't. Uh, Yes, these are my real calves. They're not calf (laughs) points. I was curious about your chesticles. Also real? (laughs) No. (laughs) It's just the left. I noticed you only put one in just testing it out. Uh, uh, If you you had to remove three common exercises from CrossFit gyms in the interest of safety, what would they they be? Oh, so... uh, if you had to, gun against the head. Well, it doesn't have to be three. Three so or fewer. Let me deconstruct that for a second. Because, and that's, that's crucial because first and foremost, all the movements in the training language are inherently safe if you have full range of motion and the motor control to do them, right? Mm-hmm. So, Presumably, though, you get 1,000 people come in. There are certain exercises where a higher percentage of those people will lack that prerequisite. The, n- the number them. one most dangerous skill... Bench press, 
And why? Because people don't have an, any internal rotation of their shoulder. They've pinned their back down, right? Let's, you can press all day long. Standing overhead military press, strict press. You're going to fail safely. When you fail in the bench press, that shoulder is, is going to translate forward. There's your labrum. There's your, can you bench press safely? Yes. Do we love floor pressing in our gym? Absolutely. We floor press a ton. But what I find is that people do not have the basic mechanics, and that's one of the ways that we've got in our head that we define, like, you know, we define strength, how much you bench, you know, how much you bench. You know, my, I, my friend Mark Bell benched over 900. Our yeah. friend Mark Bell. Our friend Mark Dick Bell. Smelly. And, uh, you know, that's an amazing amount. And what I will tell you is that his, his positions and mechanics, it is so technical. Like, I think I, once oh, I became hyper, friends Hyper, hyper technical. Yeah, I mean, once and, I be- and also just the assistance work and everything that he does related to it is so sophisticated. I think I, after knowing Mark and Jesse Burdick for several years, I, f- I feel like I finally learned how to bench press. Even though I've been bench pressing since I was, what, like a man? I came out, like, like my testicles dropped and they handed me a bench press, you know? <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, I've said, I pull the bench out of that. I also will pull the rings out. Rings. And the reason is what we see is that people can do movements that look like ring dips. They go up and down, but they don't lock out. Their shoulders are in terrible positions. And what we value is them doing work going up and down. But if we put the rings back in for stability work, show me you have a good start position and finish position. Like, here's, here's one I promise. Like, the TRX is a great piece of home equipment. Like, you can... One of the things that we... <clears throat> I'm a big fan of is understanding that if your hands are on the ground doing a push-up, right, then you can cheat off the ground. You have what I call a closed torque environment. If you grip a barbell, that's closed closed torque. It's basically a, a, a circuit, right? And I can create stability off that in really strange positions because I can still bend sure, like the wrist. like bending the bar. I That's mean. right. I should be bending the bar, but I can still bend the bar even though my body's in really dis- strange shapes. As soon as I put a dumbbell in your hand, you can't do that anymore. Different game. Right? That's why kettlebells are so important, why dumbbells are so important because they, I call it an open torque system. I have to create all the stability at the big primary engine, I can't cheat it up through the chain. And so why are rings so important? Well, one of the reasons rings dips are important is because they force me to show my hand what's really going on at the shoulder in an open torque environment. The problem, so one of the reasons TRX is great is that you're basically taking really simple movements and being able to apply this, I'm in a strap, I'm hanging, right? And I can't cheat anymore, right? Because I, if I'm disorganized at the shoulder, I don't, I don't generate force. So, but the problem is with the rings that you can still cheat yourself in internal, internal ro- into an terribly internally rotated position, cranking your neck back, and you can still go up and down until you can't. And, um, and remember, the gym is a diagnostic tool. I should be figuring out what's going on. I think the shoulder will hand the hips will handle a lot more silly BS a lot longer than the shoulder will, right? If I had to pull out one more movement, you know, hand against the gun against the wall, I would say the butterfly kip only because I think it's to, that's how I if you ask me to do a bunch of pull-ups, guess what I'm going to do? Butterfly kip. But I understand the principles and I have good range of motion. It's a completely safe position but what we see is that people do not have i ask them to put their arms over their head for example right and they can't do it and then so suddenly magically hanging from a bar is going to increase that range of motion no they're going to compensate (laughs) then swinging and lending so what we do is we add speed to a bad position and then that's really the recipe kapow goes the wire wire. but but once again 
you know, we program all that stuff on our gym, but you'll notice that we have a lot of static ring stations because what we saw as well, people can't even do, you can't even get into the start position on the rings, which is elbows locked out, butt squeezed, thumbs turned out. They can't even get into the finish position or the start position. So what are we talking about? You know, what we're doing is we end up arguing about bullshit, right? Yeah. You, you, you can't even get into the bottom position of a snatch. Why are we talking about your snatch? Right. I mean, I'm getting into more gymnastics uh, these days, and uh, yeah, I want to be able to do a back tuck. I've never been able to do a back tuck. And, uh, really? Yeah. Attribute-wise, I have the attributes necessary, but it's a long story. No, because I, I, I was obsessed with that, too. I yeah, totally yeah. So, yeah. So I want to get to that point. You can do that safely, but you can certainly do it very, very unsafely <laughs> or attempt to do it unsafely. And I think that you know, the question of sequencing and how you put things in a proper order from diagnostics totally. to refinement to training. We have not given people the background or the language of how their bodies work. Yeah. You know, I get to work with kids like children, like first graders and swim kindergartners in our swim team all the way up to masters, Olympic athletes. I mean, like we, I see it all. Right, And what I can tell you is that most along the way, no one gets any formal training. And the mistake has been always, like I think CrossFit is doing it more right. The, the DeFranco's gyms, the Mike Boyles, the places like that are, you know, Shannon Turley at Stanford. There are pockets of really excellent thinkers who are teaching people how to move. And that's a specific thing. Right? And that's not just jumping back and forth and chasing a bouncy ball. That's very specific skills and challenging those skills with the things we talked about. So, you know, what we've seen is a decentralized, and Cross, for example, is like a decentralized Soviet sports system, right? We have 11,000 states. And what you'll see is that kids will grow up through the CrossFit system in a generation, and they will ha- they'll already be like, well, of course I can overhead squat. What do I mean? Why can't you overhead squat? You know what I mean? And we'll solve a lot of problems. But the, the key piece is we can't confuse exercising for full human capacity. That's, that's the missing link. And so speaking of full human capacity, if you look at the the most elite CrossFitters, what are are there things that they do that the lower ranks do not? Commonalities that you've observed that people can can borrow or emulate or incorporate. But, uh, you're saying that top CrossFitters that yeah. the, the bottom aren't doing that's just the recreational, yeah, yeah, yeah like top top quartile uh, or decile of they uh, they all have most of them I know are obsessed with mechanics. Most of them, and really spend a lot of time refining that mechanics. Um, that's really, you know, their positions are more effortless. Like there was a, I, you know, I had this physical therapy instructor, and she was like, she she taught pediatrics, and she's like, let me be fucking clear, muscles and tissues are like obedient dogs. And I was like, like my mind was like, gadoosh. Like this is coming from the pediatric physical therapist who was like, what the hell's wrong with you? Why, you know, why are you so stiff? You know? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, and the, the key, the, the key. <laughs> We're doing synchronized stretches. <laughs> is um, <laughs> the, the key is that people aren't spending enough time working on full position. And maybe it's because I have not made the case for it. Because what we've done is we know you can get by at 80%. But show me you have full capacity. Because that's the thing that these top athletes have. I mean, they obviously can work really hard. Full capacity meaning the corners of these yeah, positions. Yeah, the positional, full position. And the, I always use this example, but squat down with your feet together. Keep your heels on the ground, knees together. Can you do that? Yes or no. If you can't do that, 
knees together all the way down, chilling out in the bottom like we're at a campfire, then you're missing full hip range of motion, ankle range of motion. One of those things is missing. And that's the mechanism for your hip impingement. That's the mechanism for your plantar fasciitis, for your bunion, for your torn Achilles, you know, for your pulled calf. I mean, that is the fucking problem. And you should be obsessing about this. I, you know, CrossFit is like... It's, or any good modern strength and conditioning system because we're not the only ones doing it now, but they force us into these shapes that are diagnostic, you know? And, you know, if you've been around Pavel, well, then you probably have done a pistol at some point. Sure. That's because you have to be able to have that open torque control on your leg, right? That's how he gets away with not having to do lots of step-ups, right? Show me that you can squat up and down one leg with that strength. And... Immediately, I can tell if you have the ankle range of motion, hip range of motion, do that, right? So it's interesting that that got pulled into the language because it was so diagnostic. If, if there were two or three movements that people listening to this could videotape themselves performing for sort of maximal diagnostic value, uh, let's just say it's busy professional who's like, ah, you know, I'm probably letting go, but I want to get back into training. I want to be able to videotape myself at certain points just to see how screwed up I am before I try to do something I did when I was 20 years old. Is there anything in particular you'd recommend? Well, here's the problem with that is that you somehow devalue some of the other positions. And in, in physical therapy school, they had this great statement. They're like, test something you think you changed and something you didn't think you changed. And I was like, that is so eternal and amazing. And then I was like, well, fuck, it's my fucking shoulder. And if I'm compromised on this end... I maybe don't have the intellectual capacity to understand how that compromises me on the other side. And so what, what's crucial is that you can go from the start position. So, for example, you may not think that Olympic lifting is important to you as a swimmer, but Olympic lifting forces you all the time or swinging kettlebell into having full internal rotation of your shoulder. So even just doing the Bergner warm-up with a PVC pipe, he's, a, he's an Olympic lifting coach. You can Google Bergner warm-up. How do you spell his name? It's like B-U-R-G-E-N-E-R. Got it. And if you, Mike Bergner, and if you just get into this high hang position, like like you're doing like the robot dance out to the side, Do right? All the time, you should be able to get your hand all the way down to your hip, and your shoulder shouldn't twist forward. So people are like, "Oh, I don't need to limp lift." Well, you should be able to snatch a PVC pipe without hurting your shoulder. But those same people will go to the pool and not recognize that the finished position for the crawl stroke is the same position. The same position. And so what ends up happening then is in the swimming language, if I'm missing that internal rotation at the end, that means my shoulder comes forward and that means my next stroke is compromised. Yeah. And that's why you have to have full range on both ends of your shoulder, right? Because I'm going to compromise and that's going to mess up my next start or my next yeah. rep. I've been amazed how much my entire physiology has changed just focusing on terminal knee extension. Just like lay on your back, put your legs straight up in the air, pull your toes back, straighten your legs. And if you can't straighten them completely, I was like, wow, my legs are shaking like, you know. It's I, a, I, 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 hand, I handled that over meth. to two NFLers today yeah. who were, who were, were uh, coming back from an ACL repair. Yeah. That t- they sit... All day long, they're sitting 14 hours a day, knee is slightly bent, they don't have that range. Posterior chain is, you know, you should, like, wh- why can't you do a long sit? Yeah, you know, last time you saw me, I could barely do this, and now I'm like, that's right. Out to the. You know, it, it, one of the things that you, you know, the truth, <laughs> PR, lifetime. <laughs> one, of the, one of the truths is that 
you know, we're always talking about putting the hip back into the socket. Like, that's right. the capsule stretch. That's four-hour body stuff. Definitely. But what you figured out was, boy, if I, if I have some more, some load, my legs are up, and I put some load through that, that seated that hip back into the position and reinforce that mechanic and then you had to be stable in that shape same thing happens when you squat theoretically same thing should be happening when you deadlift but what we see is that the modernness of us is what messes us up you have to have a movement practice pilates is a movement practice yoga is a movement practice acro yoga is a movement practice because they're exposed crossfit's a movement practice but then i also have to probably breathe hard a little bit someone there and get stronger and your movement practice can handle that. It can be kettlebells based. I, you can go to the Olympics that way. And then the last piece, of course, is that you have to be able to take care of your tissues. You have to know how to do some basic maintenance. You know, one of the reasons that For Our Body spoke to so many people was that it was like you gave them a blueprint, a Betty Crocker cookbook of how their body worked and the things that they could do that were actionable. That didn't require a doctor or a physical therapist. That's the revolution. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for helping with that also. Uh, I have to ask this. This is... This is uh it's a common question. It's not one that I ask myself much, but I'm curious how you would answer it. Is CrossFit a fad? Oh, I would say totally. Totally a fad. <laughs> because front squatting and running is a fad. It's a gimmick. <laughs> no, look, gymnastics is not a gimmick. Um, Olympic lifting, not a gimmick. Powerlifting, not a gimmick. You know, one of the things that I don't think people recognize CrossFit so much. And you can even go, go back to Pavel's book. It's like he, he interviews some MMA guy who was legendary for his conditioning. He does the 100 kettlebell snatch test. And he does it in like eight minutes and it destroys him. Like I have 13-year-old girls who can do that version of that thing in like three and a half minutes. You know what I mean? So what we've done is we've gotten a lot better conditioned. And, and I think people understand that CrossFit has always prioritized conditioning and aerobic engine first you've got to take care of that stuff and the body weight control stuff is the easiest way and the most democratized way then let's have a conversation about how much you weigh how strong you are if you're gonna be the best of the crossfit games you're gonna have to be really really strong and really aerobic for the rest of us we can keep putting money in that strength bank but that that aerobic function bank it goes dry now the conditioning to uh and i know you got got a bunch of people to to train here and business to handle so i'll let you go in a minute but the to thin slice conditioning for a second, because for, for me, of course, I want to I dig into the, the measurables. Is that primarily, when I look at, say, a metabolic conditioning workout, a Metcon workout, is it primarily trying to push up that anaerobic threshold so that you don't get crippled by lactic acid and hydrogen ions and all that and puke into a bucket? Uh, is it VO2 max? Like, what are the primary components that you well, can kind of perform, that you can track? The idea is that you know, we could maintain all these other functions, strength, power, all the things that sort of valued us as powerful, functional people. And I could get all the benefits of the aerobic, anaerobic training with interval-like training, with high-intensity training, right? Izumi Tabata proved that a long time ago. But what we found is that, hey, probably you need to go long once in a while to make sure you can. And there's some adaptations that only happen at that long, steady state, right? I'm about to, I'm signed up for the Molokai. I'm paddling OC1. It's like a five to seven hour race. 20 minute workouts are not going to do it for this me. This is kayaking. Outrigger canoe. Outrigger canoe. Right. But my point is that I'm going to have to go long. How long we need to go is up to my coach. You know, I'm probably not doing longer than an hour, still maintaining, respecting this aerobic piece. But that the intensity, you know, all of our energy systems work in concert and at the same time. You know, if you go longer than two minutes, two minutes is a 50% aerobic, 50% anaerobic effort. 
So, you know, running, you know, at six minutes, eight minutes, you're full aerobic power. You know, that, that's just a much more interesting. Do 1K repeats. You know, that's something that people didn't understand about Brian McKenzie's model. You know, it's like he has me do 5K repeats and stuff and on the erg, and boom, it's brutal. That's brutal. This is the standing or seated erg? That'd be the skerg, the ski erg. The ski erg. You know? Got it. You know, that's, that's, that's a te- those are terrible places to be. You know, 1K repeats. You know, and I, I think... We even people are are not afraid of working hard anymore. We've gotten past that. Now let's have a little bit better conversation. What uh, What do you think is the future of CrossFit? And you can answer that any way you want. <laughs> well, you know it's going to continue to refine itself. I think you know people are coming in, and all the coaches I know and work with, you know, are starting to understand what it is we're doing and how sophisticated. It's not just we just don't throw a bunch of random shit up and exercise till we puke. You know, it seems like that, you know, bunch of bunch of jerks swinging around the bar. That's not what's happening at all. There are Pe- some jerks swinging on the bar. Well, that, that happens. I mean, I always point out, I'm like, <clears throat> the physical therapists out in the world, you had a business long before CrossFit, FYI. Like, there, people have been fucking themselves up in every sport for as long as there are people because we're ego-driven people, because we're, we're driven to perform, right? So, you know, the key is to pull your ego out of this and really play the long game, what do you look like? How strong, how fit can you be when you're 50? The conversation changes a little bit. For me, it's, it's not, you know, can I deadlift 600 anymore? It's, you know, what's this look like when I run an ultra? What's this look like? How fa- effective am I at running a 10K or paddling? Those are, for me, starting to be more interesting conversations than just absolute strength or absolute work power. How can I, how does this make me a better mountain biker? If, if there were any, uh, any sort of parting tips suggestions, requests that you could make of the people out there who are either currently CrossFitting or considering CrossFitting, what would you say to them? Or what would you suggest? You know, thir- it's not about who can work hardest anymore. That ship has sailed. If you're in a serious strength and conditioning program, you are very fit. You know, you, probably fitness is not, unless you're a beginner, fitness is not the limiting factor anymore. Your positional quality at intensity is the limiting factor because you're going to do the same experiment that everyone has done and you will end up in a little tiny box at some point wondering why you're George St. Pierre and you've torn both your ACLs, right? No one was fitter. No one was more powerful, but his positions cost him his ACLs. And now he's that consciousness has come at a very, very high price. And, you know, you should be able to do these things forever, you know, there's, there's not a time where you don't need to get up off the ground or do a push-up, but just let's become more sophisticated. Let's advance the conversation a little bit. Don't be a douchebag. <laughs> That's a big if, one. If I walk into the room and you're rounding your back, I'm going to cock punch you. Come on. <laughs> it may happen once in a while at your heaviest loads. I was drinking not, coffee if, and you tried to cock punch me earlier, <laughs> which I thought was aggressive. Luckily, I, know, I mean, I just I think that's that's the it's issue enhanced. is that it's it's you know you need to bring the awareness that we're supposed to bring to this. If we're doing a five rep, we're just not even a five rep max, but we're just squatting. That fifth fifth rep should look fucking good. You just did four more. Like make it look better. Okay. Okay, we got we got to run, guys. Uh, last question: Any lesser known strength coaches or coaches? Period. That. Uh, that you particularly that, that stick out in your mind that people might want to look up and learn more about oh. more about Joe DeFranco is amazing mm-hmm. um, if you haven't ever listened to Pavel talk you know yeah. he solved a lot of this a long time ago yeah um, the the internet is rich right now with you know I would say look at who's been on the podcast mm-hmm. um, 
there have been some serious banner carriers for a long time. Mark Verstegen at Exos has been talking about these basic shapes and comp- positions for a long time. Who are on his show? Who's around? You know, right? Um, and I, and I think the working coach piece is is it. There are a lot of models, you know, but you just just need to start a practice. And then from there, we can advance ourselves. But there's, there's a lot of really good thinking in the world right now. It's very exciting. This is a good time to be in the world. Definitely. So, yeah, question your assumptions, folks. Test your own rules. And don't be afraid to suck. Don't suck. be afraid to suck. Find a place where you can suck. <laughs> Privately. Safely. <laughs> Kelly, where can people find, uh, find you on the internets and elsewhere? Uh, I'm on your couch, timferriscouch.com. <laughs> Not to be confused with other couches <laughs> That's right. on the internet. Uh, dude, we're at MobilityWad and uh, MobilityWad.com. And, uh, man, I can't believe I've been doing this for 10 years. That's a lot of pull-ups. Yeah. (laughs) Well, to many more decades. All right. Thanks Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you.